Welcome to the Sonic Nuance Electronics Podcast, focusing on topics of interest to worship teams as well as anyone involved with musical recording and performance. Today's interview is with David McKinney, worship pastor at Cross Church in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Hi, David. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. So tell me a little bit about your church and your role there. Um, I am at Cross Church in Northwest Arkansas. Um, My address is Fayetteville, but Northwest Arkansas is kind of a weird place in that it's a suburb without a major city. So we just call the whole area Northwest Arkansas. It's up in the northwest corner. And um, I'm part of a church here that has five campuses. Um, One of them is in uh, southwest Missouri, but the other four are right here in northwest Arkansas. And I am at the uh, Fayetteville campus, which was um, launched uh, about six years ago um, from uh, the main campus. And I am the, um, the worship pastor at that campus, the Fayetteville campus. And can you tell me a little bit about a typical day, if there is such a thing? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we have, um, you know, one of the challenges of being a multi-campus um, church is staying connected, communicating effectively, all of those sorts of uh, nuances there. And so one of the things we do as a staff is, Um, All the ministry staff across all the campuses has a meeting uh, every Monday morning to start the week. And um, so that's kind of how, you know, after Sundays, that's kind of how my my work week gets started uh, in that meeting. And then I go straight from that meeting to uh, what we call leadership team, which is the um, the the group of people that sort of um, lead the church that make the decisions about um, almost you know everything that happens here. And so I'm in that meeting for most of the rest of the day. Um, so Mondays are one of those days where you just you chalk it up to meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Tuesday is um, uh, a lot of um, planning for Sunday, um, talking uh, with my associate at the Fayetteville campus about you know, last Sunday and things that worked and didn't work that we might want to change and implement this coming week. Um, as well as, um, you know, Tuesday, Wednesdays and Thursdays, as much as possible, I'm scheduling lunches with our volunteers, with, um, people in the church, leaders in the church, uh, even if they're not on the worship team, just to stay connected with people and, and really, um, seek to invest in in our people uh, as a worship pastor i feel like uh, pastor is the important word um and then music is sort of my my secondary i'm 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 called of god to equip the saints for the work of the ministry uh music just happens to be the tool of which i use to accomplish that so um so i'm constantly trying to meet with people and investing in people um wednesdays are a day um a lot of times where um, I am uh, meeting with school of ministry students, we have school of ministry, uh, school of ministry here at our cross church um, and in preparation for Wednesday night activities, any uh, midweek stuff that we have, college ministry, uh, youth ministry, that sort of thing. Um, 
And then Thursdays are kind of the um, Thursdays are the the flexible day. We have we have always have stuff coming up at Cross Church. We're um, we have a lot of programs and events that happen here, and so constantly have things like that coming up. And so Thursdays a lot of times are dedicated to um, you know planning for events that are coming up or getting together um, with some guys to brainstorm for events or think creatively, maybe write some that sort of deal. And then we have Friday uh, off here at Cross Church, um, which is. Uh, which is fantastic. So that's a little bit about my work week. Yeah, it's pretty full. And that's yeah. good that you guys have Friday off because I know Sunday can be a big production sometimes. Yeah, it's we have so at the Fayetteville campus, we have um, three services in the morning and one at night. Um, they're all the same service, but we have uh, an 8.30, a 10 o'clock, an 11.30, and a 5.30. So Sunday is a pretty demanding day. <laughs> and the, the worship team is the same throughout? Same band for all four services, yes. Uh, we'll touch on that in a couple minutes. Uh, tell me a little bit about your musical background and what instruments you play and or what you lead with. Yeah, so I um, I started singing when I was a kid and um, loved, loved to sing in church. My parents decided to get me piano lessons when I was seven years old. I did that for two years, and I absolutely hated it. And uh, my mom said, we are not going to pay for lessons if you're not going to practice. And so that was it for me on piano, at least for that, <laughs> that time. And uh, the funny thing is I... I didn't really, we moved to South Carolina for my middle school years and it was just a weird transition like it is for every middle schooler. Um, and, and then we moved back to Georgia. I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia. We moved back to Georgia, uh, the Atlanta area, um, when I was in eighth grade. And when I got back, I kind of, we still had the piano. It came with us. And one, one day I just kind of dusted it off and I taught myself I have decided to follow Jesus on the piano, and I thought, hey, this is kind of neat. I can, like, do stuff on this thing. <laughs> and so I asked my mom if I could take piano lessons, and she said, I am not going to pay for p- piano lessons unless you promise you're going to practice. I said, okay, mom. <laughs> she's, uh, if you couldn't tell, you know, from the making fun of her there, she's a little sassy southern woman. <laughs> and so uh, I said, all right, mom, I promise I'm going to practice piano, practice piano. Well, the irony is by the time I was a junior in high school, uh, my parents put me on piano restrictions because my grades were slipping uh, because <laughs> I would come home. Uh, I'd get off the bus at like, you know, whatever that is, 330. Um, and I would sit down at the piano and I'd play till dinner and then I'd get up and eat dinner and I'd play till I go to bed. So, I mean, I was playing six, five, six hours a day. Um, there was a um, my parents piano was on carpet. And there was a hole in the carpet where the sustain pedal is because my foot had just rubbed a hole in the carpet. And I, I mean, I was a ADHD little kid. I couldn't sit still and focus on anything. And so, um, people ask me, where did your music come from? Cause no one in my family is really musical. And I just tell them, man, the Lord just put it in me. I mean, I really believe that God put it in my heart and he put it in me and as a passion and, uh, I practice and practice and practice. I mean, I didn't really start playing piano until I was about 15. So I had a lot of making up to do, you know, for all those people that started when they were like seven. Um, and, uh, and so I just kind of got a passion for that. And then my, um, 16th birthday, I, I got a cheap guitar and 
started acoustic guitar, started teaching myself how to play guitar. And um, I was in chorus at school and uh, really fell in love with the the theory of music. And so, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer that if you um, if you know the theory of music, you can translate that to any instrument. Um, you know, then it's just a matter of time on the instrument to build yeah. your chops on the I instrument. Agree. I totally um, agree. Yeah. And so, so it was just kind of a, people ask me what instruments do I play? And I, I go, I don't know how much time can you give me to figure it out, you know, kind of a thing. And so, um, but I, I, I tell people I really only play the piano. I prefer to lead worship from an acoustic guitar. I feel like I have more, um, freedom there as a worship leader, but, uh, I'm in a season right now where our main, um, keyboard player, the guy who used to run the tracks and kind of control everything, uh, moved to Texas. And so, I am uh, currently leading from the piano and running tracks and mm-hmm. being the MD and all that fun stuff at the same time. So um, anyway, that's sort of my and, – and I dabbled on saxophone for about 10 months in the midst of all that and realized I'm not a woodwind player. <laughs> <laughs> and just so my listeners know, MD, that's musical director. That's correct. Yes, the guy who kind of – I have a talk back mic, talks to the band in their in-ears and – um, helps kind of keep the, keep the service going. Got it. And how do you guys do the talk back mic? How do we, excuse me, say that again? Uh, how do you set it up? Like, do you have a separate mic for talk back or do you have a switch that you hit or how, how do you guys do it? Yeah. So, the, um, we have two mics set up on boom stands. Uh-huh. My mic that I am singing in comes from the right and the talk back mic is kind of set up a little off to the left and uh, there's no switch for it. Uh, pretty mm-hmm. sure the sound guy has a gate on it. Um, but I just, you know, lean over and talk into that mic. I don't, I don't do a lot of, you know, some MDs are very involved. You know, they they tell you every transition that's coming, and here's the bridge, and hold this for two bars. And um, I don't really do that. I, I mostly stay out of it and let the band do their thing. But if we're changing something, that's when I'll get on the talkback mic and say, okay, guys, we're going to do this instead. Mm-hmm. You know, be look out for this, that kind of thing. Got it. Got it. And you mentioned that the acoustic guitar you preferred leading because of freedom. What kind of freedom do you mean? You mean physical freedom to move around or, or was it something else? Uh, yes. Uh, physical freedom. Um, I love to move mm-hmm. <laughs> when I play and, um, and I can still do that from the keyboard, but, um, I don't, I, I feel hindered, you know, I can only stay in one spot as well as, the guy on the on the keyboard is sort of um, at least in our setup is the one who's sort of responsible for for keeping it all together, yeah. tying all the seam, you know, making sure the transitions are seamless and all that stuff. And sometimes, man, when I lead from acoustic, I love to be able to just stop playing and lift my hands up and and talk to people without having to worry about changing the chord on the pad and worry about what's coming next on the tracks and all that stuff. And so. Um, it provides me a little more freedom to do that, to do that. Plus the way we have our keyboard set up, we have it, um, we have an upright piano that is gutted. Uh, well, it's not an upright, it's a console, but it's, it's gutted and the, the keyboard is sitting inside of it. And so to me, I just feel <laughs> like there's a barrier between me and, and the people I'm entrusted to lead in worship when I'm sitting behind that, which I don't, I don't feel like I have that with the acoustic guitar. I see. That makes sense. Why did you guys gut it? Uh, just to get the appearance of a piano or was something else going on? 
Yeah, you know, it was. It's funny. It wasn't as much about being cool um, as it was about hiding all the nasty cables. <laughs> oh, okay, gotcha. Because <laughs> um, I've got, you know, I've got a um, a laptop sitting underneath there, and it's running to an interface, and there's, you know, ex- uh, quarter inch cables coming out of the interface, and there's a, uh, you know, pedals going to the keyboard, and and quarter inch pe- cables coming out of the keyboard, and we have a MIDI controller that controls the tracks, and so you got a USB cable for that, and yada yada yada, and it just looked awful. So we just put all that inside a a, a shell, and um, it hides all the cables, which is really nice. That's good. I like that. Uh, tell me a little bit about your influences. Uh, vocally and instrument wise um yeah so when i was in college i was um i was really influenced by a guy named uh klaus kuhn who used to lead worship for christ for the nations that was back in the early 2000s and um christ for the nations was putting out some some really great records back then and um he also has ties with gateway church and um carrie job he kind of you know that kind of circle I really loved his passion and the way he leads from keyboard. I really love the way he leads. Um, and so I, I would say he was one of my earlier um, influences. And nowadays, um, it's it's funny. Who am I influenced by vocally? Um, I, I don't consider myself a um, – like a, a vocalist, like I'm, I'm not a so like I'm not a guy who just has this killer voice that you want to listen to all day every day. Um, I just know how to sing well enough to get the congregation to you know know where we're going. And so for me, a guy that I really look up to um, is Matt Redman. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like Matt doesn't have the best voice in the world, but there's such a genuineness to his voice. I mean, that man, when you listen to him, you really believe him. And, and when he's singing the words that he's singing, you think, yeah, that's, that's touching him, you know, deep inside. He's not just getting through this chorus. This chorus is ministering to him. Um, and that's the type of worship leader I want to be. I don't want to be just a guy who sings songs. I want to, I want my, my voice to, um, to connect with people because it's connecting with me. So I would say these days, I feel like I'm, I'm really influenced by, by him. I like the focus of your approach, both the music theory focus, the message focus. I think that's exactly right on. It's rare to find a fellow um, theory lover. Most people, when I say music theory, they run for the hills and they hate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, like you, uh, bass is my main instrument, but recently I've taken up piano because my daughter's taking it and exactly like you said the theory that i had learned came right back and it was really helpful Um, so yeah i totally agree Uh, a lot of the instrument choices are um, just that like which one do you want to invest time in after you you get some theory down right tell me a bit about your worship teams what what's a typical makeup if you have one um, so it's pretty different. The five campuses of our church are, um, you know, a, a lot of churches that have multi-site um, will do like exact duplications, um, and they're they're cookie cutter. They show a video, 
Um, and I'm, um, I, I hope that didn't come across negative. I'm not saying that's negative. That's probably easier and more yeah, effective. Right. But for, for our church, um, you know, leadership, even before I was here, chose not to do it that way. Um, and I think it works really well for our culture here. Uh, the churches are very different. There's a live preacher um, at each of uh, oh. the campuses, except for one. Uh, the Fayetteville East Campus is a small uh, campus just east of us, and the preacher, uh, the communicator at my campus, who is Nick Floyd, who's the son of Ronnie Floyd, who's our senior pastor. Um, Nick Floyd preaches at the 8:30, and then we record it and run that DVD over to East Campus, and they play that DVD for their 10:30 service. Um, but anyway, all the campuses are very different, and our stage is about um, 25 feet wide and about. 13 feet deep. So um, we are maxed out when we have a drum enclosure, which we do have. We have a drum cage fully enclosed on stage, which takes up about half the stage. Um, But in a room our size, if we didn't have it, all you would hear is drums. So we have a drum shield, a bass player, um, electric guitar, lead electric guitar player, me leading from keys, my associate leading from either rhythm electric or acoustic. If he's leading from rhythm electric, we have an acoustic guitar player and then two female vocalists. And you get that on there and our stage is, is pretty much yeah. maxed out. So I assume there's no amps up there or, or is there room for amps? No, no we have an amp room off the stage that we use. Mm-hmm. Um, we use uh, a little piece of equipment called an SGI. Uh, radio makes this thing called yep. Studio Guitar Interface. Mm-hmm. Fantastic piece of equipment yeah. uh, for worship guitar players because it fixes all the problems. The sound guy is happy and the electric guitar player gets to turn his amp up as loud as he wants to. So it's a nice. it's a great great fix. <laughs> yeah, radial makes great stuff. Yes. Um so those are those are uh that's how we we accomplish that. Um and then we we don't have any monitors on stage actually. Um not even for our communicator. Our room is so small. Um, I mean, if we're shoving people in the room, we're getting 500 people in there and it's a strip mall. I mean, we, they turned a strip mall into a church mm-hmm. building. So it's very shallow and very wide. The front row, when I sit on the front row during the message, I can put my feet on the stage. I can prop my feet up on the front of the stage. Um, so that's how close it is. That's how short our stage is. So the Nick, pastor Nick doesn't care about having monitors. So we're all using in-ears. There's no stage noise, which makes mm-hmm. it really helpful. Um, so that's a normal kind of setup at our Fayetteville campus. It's very different at the other campuses. Um, but that's where I am at the Fayetteville campus. Sure. Okay. Uh, tell me about the, the volunteers themselves. What criteria do you look for, for selecting musicians? So we have a a pretty um, extenuous process that we go through here. And we recently started doing this maybe three years ago. I've really grown to love this process. We kind of stole it from Gateway um, in a sense. Um, it's a hybrid between Gateway and uh, Church of the Highlands, if you're familiar with either one of those churches. And what we do is we hold auditions for what we call the bridge and the bridge is a way to bridge people from sitting in the audience to being a part of our worship ministry. Um, we hold auditions. We recently started doing those uh, video auditions. Um, and then all of our pastors from all the campuses sit down and uh, watch those videos together. 
and we will decide whether or not this person is ready to go to the bridge. If they're not ready to go to the bridge, we will send them an email giving them some pointers on how we think they can improve. And then we will send them to um, theworshipinitiative.com, which is Shane and Shane's um, uh, initiative that they have started to help train up um, worship volunteers and worship leaders. Incredible online resource with hundreds of videos for every instrument on a worship band, including vocalists. Very good resource. And then we tell them they can come back and audition uh, for the next cycle of the bridge if they want um, and see if they've improved. Um, if you make it to the bridge, the bridge is um, three Thursday nights in a row from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. And we do um, the first night, um, we break you off individually with a go a coach of your specific instrument. So the bass players will go with a bass player coach, vocalists will go with a vocal coach, keyboardist, keyboard, so on. Um, and uh, they go through all kinds of stuff. They go through technique, they go through um, crash course on Nashville numbers, learning you know how we do that. Um, and then they've got four songs that they're preparing for that, that the coaches will go through and really pick those out and kind of give them some pointers on how to practice. Then the next Thursday when they come back, we've broken them into two different um, – we like to have two full bands if we can have that many volunteers. Um, band one goes to the big stage at our Springdale campus, plugs in the in-ears, and practices their songs for an hour and a half while uh, band two is in the choir room with me, and I'm doing um, a mixture of worship theology – uh, this is what worship is. This is what our, our church culture is in worship ministry and uh, a mixture of music theory. So I'm actually teaching basic music theory to everyone that goes through the bridge, whether you're a drummer, vocalist, guitar player, or whatever. And then at the end of the hour and a half, the two bands switch. Band two goes to the stage. They get an hour and a half worth of rehearsal on the big stage with the in-ears, the whole deal, the click. Uh, metronome and then band one comes to the choir room where I, uh, I I do the same thing with them that I did um, you know before so um, then the third week we get in we have about 30 to 45 minutes worth of sound check for each band make sure they can hear make sure they're set and then after about an hour we tell them you know uh, we start at six we tell them to invite all their friends and family to be there at seven and they lead us in worship that we lead a worship service they lead a worship service uh, band one comes up and leads, um, start to finish, no stopping. You just got to keep going. And then they sit down and band two gets up and leads the same four songs and leads start to finish with no stopping. Uh, family members love to come to that. Friends, previous uh, bridge participants love to come and, and cheer on and encourage those who've gone through. So it's becoming a, a process that I'm, I'm really um, appreciating and enjoying because it really lets us get to know people before we put them on our stage um, more than just whether or not they can play music. We get to know who they are and, and you know, their work ethic and their attitude and all that kind of stuff. So um, once they go through the bridge, we, we use the terminology, you are now eligible to be used um, on any of our platforms across church. 
uh, doesn't mean you will be right away. We may suggest you go through another cycle of the bridge. We may suggest that you um, go uh, meet with us one-on-one for some stuff, or we may schedule you the next Sunday, depending on you know how you did in the bridge and that sort of thing. Um, but typically what we do is we put people on a a midweek platform before they go straight to the Sunday platform. So we'll use them, you know, somewhere on Wednesday night, students, college, you know, impact sites around the community, that sort of thing before we um, put them on our Sunday stage typically. Wow. You weren't kidding. That is pretty involved. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's an involved process. And I'll be honest with you. There's some, there's some good and bad. The bad is if you got a killer instrumentalist that moves to town and they're ready to get involved. Um, if, if they didn't come in right at the beginning of a bridge cycle, it could be six to eight months before they're actually on your stage if you live by your, if you live by your process. But you find out real quick, uh, quickly, whether or not that person really wants to be committed to the church or if they just want to play some music. Mm-hmm. Because if you tell them, hey, listen, we want you to be involved in our worship ministry here, but you know, you got to go through this process and it's going to be a six month process. And they say, Hey man, whatever, whatever it takes to serve the church, you know, you've got a volunteer that, um, that, that wants more than just to play music. And that's, that's kind of the culture we have here at Cross Churches. We want people that, um, that are more interested in the ministry and more interested in, in serving the church and connecting to the church than just playing music. And I know other churches are different and, and they have a different philosophy on that. And that's totally fine. I don't think one's biblical and one's unbiblical. That's just the culture that we have here. And so, um, you know, on, on the inverse, if you uh, tell someone it's going to be a six month process and they go, yeah, right, I'm going to another church. You know that you may lose them, but you may also save yourself from having some really difficult conversations in the future. You know, by that vetting process. So, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, a give and take. Yeah, it's very well thought out. I'm, I'm impressed. We did a lot of research. We we knew there were people doing it way better than us, and we we went and and started asking them how they did it and reading a lot of stuff and and uh, really trying to see how we could do it better here. Uh, you mentioned the four services on Sunday. Can you tell me about the practice ro- routine for that service or set of, set of services? So this is another decision that we that we had to come to. We don't pay any of our musicians. They're all volunteers. Uh, again, some churches do it differently, and that's fine. I don't think one way is right or wrong. That's just how we've chosen to do it here in our culture. And... Um, many of our volunteers who volunteer on Sunday and play the whole day also are playing somewhere on Wednesday night. Um, and so when Shane and I, my associate, you know, uh, really got in and started thinking about this, we didn't want to take another night of the week away from our volunteers' families who are not getting paid any money to do this. And so we don't actually have a midweek rehearsal. Um, we send out the planning center invites and if it's a new song, sometimes we'll we'll break up the multi-tracks and send out like a, a drum rehearsal track and a lead electric rehearsal track. And we've just built into the culture that you show up Sunday morning prepared. And because our first service is 8.30 and we like to be off stage at 8 o'clock, uh, we meet at 6.45 a.m. on Sunday morning. And we start rehearsal at 7 and we have one hour. Um, and so everyone, I mean, that's not a lot of time. Everyone knows I got to show up prepared. You know, that's not the place to work on chords. That's the place to work on transitions, roadmaps, 
gelling, those sorts of things. And so and that's a give and take as well. Um, if you come to Cross Church, you're not going to hear platinum CD quality on Sunday morning from our band. Uh, but we were willing to sacrifice a little bit of um, that quality to uh, hopefully invest in the overall health of our volunteers, meaning, you know, they don't have to be out another night of the week away from their families, leaving work early, those sorts of things. And so um, I really think God has honored that. Um, but again, it's, you know, there's some give and take there. So we don't have a midweek rehearsal. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I appreciate what you're doing with that in, in that you, you could have a midweek, but you might end up losing half your musicians too. That's right. That's right. Tell me about your set lists. What, what goes into making a set list? So I have, I've used several different philosophies in my worship leading career, career, whatever calling. It's not a career for me. It's a, you know, this is what God has told me to do and I'm being obedient, but I've used several different um, philosophies. You know, I've done the, what's the message Let's try to pick all songs that are themed around the message. Um, I've used the let's let's get a passage of scripture and let's just follow through the passage of scripture and write a set list that follows, you know, that sort of idea. And um, and and I, I, I loved both of those, but I'm seeing at least I don't know if other people would agree with me. I'm seeing a, a trend in church music where people just aren't singing anymore. Um, as much as they used to. And uh, they're showing up to church and they're just, you know, the music time to them has just kind of become a time where they spectate and not, um, they're a spectator and they're not, you know, involved. Uh, They're not a participator. And so one of the things that we've recently done is we've tried to to plan our set lists around getting our people more involved. And so um, we have a very small number of songs that we repeat pretty regularly. And if we add a new song, uh, we do it very strategically. We put it in the, the pre-service playlist for a few weeks so people have it in their minds. We, um, When we introduce it, we will introduce it. We'll come right back the second week and play it again. We'll let it rest the third week, and then we'll play it the fourth week. And we don't ever make a decision about keeping it or canning it until after that fourth week. Uh, statistics show us that most people are coming to church once, maybe twice a month. So if you only do a song once, you, have, you don't really know whether or not your church is into it or not because it's a different crowd next Sunday. Um, and so when we introduce a new song, that's how we do it. And we won't, you know, we won't introduce a dozen songs a semester. We may introduce four a semester. And if we introduce a new one, we're probably going to, get rid of, um, we're going to shelve some other ones. Um, hymns are really the only thing that we just kind of keep around and don't get rid of because, well, hymns are always a win. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, you can't go wrong with a great hymn. Um, and so, uh, we, we try to incorporate hymns, um, you know, two or three times a month, at least one hymn. Um, but with, with newer worship songs, We've kind of gotten away from, oh, man, this song fits the message really great. Let's do it this week and then never do it again. Um, I just don't feel like that helps the people participate as much. And so we've kind of chosen to to use that model in this season of, of where I am in ministry. That's interesting. I like that. Um, one thing I've seen, you may do this, but when our worship leader 
introduces a new song, he'll introduce it by having everybody listen to the chorus and having them sing it. And then he'll say, okay, you got it. And then the band starts and that's pretty effective. It's worked well for us. Yes. Agreed. Um, charts on stage or memorization? Uh, memorization. Yeah. And you know what? And that helps. That helps that we don't have that many songs. You know, I mean, if you, if you added up our repertoire, uh, maybe 30. Um, so, um, and we only add a new song, you know, maybe once a month, maybe. So again, it helps with, with the memorization thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of repetition too. So it's a lot easier to memorize too. That's great. Um, for yourself, uh, when you're singing, um, what works for you for memorizing lyrics for a new song? Um, cause I'm terrible at this, man. I'm telling you, it's a, <laughs> it's a challenge. Um, I feel like everyone was, every worship leader was better at memorizing lyrics before the confidence monitor. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't know what that says about us as worship leaders, but, uh, Oh man. Um, you know, for me, it's just it's just listening um, over and over and over, and then once I so I'll put it on repeat, and then once I once I listen to it, um, sitting down at the piano by myself and just forcing myself to sing through it um, without the music because you can listen yeah. to a song and think you're getting the lyrics, but when you play it by yourself, you get to that third line in the verse and you realize, oh man, I have no idea how that line starts. Um, so sitting down by myself without any lyrics in front of me, including confidence monitor and just doing it by myself to make sure. And honestly, I don't, I don't memorize a hundred percent. I get, I get about 75 to 80% familiar with the song. Um, and then I do rely on the confidence monitor about 25% of the time. Uh, but for me, um, I mean, after I've done the song four or five times in a worship service, you know, cause you got to think we rehearse it probably twice. Then we sing it for all four services. So I do it six times <laughs> on Sunday. So if we come right back and do it again the next Sunday, that's 12 times in one week. So after a few weeks, I pretty much got it just by the nature of doing it so much. <laughs> uh, you mentioned some creativity. Um, were you referring to original material? Do you guys, uh, have you been working on that? Um, and what's your policy on that? Yeah, so re uh Pretty recently, um, we have we have kind of jumped into this. We did a capital campaign for a new building that we're building um, back in the fall, and Shane and I, my associate, uh, and even um, Nick, the teaching pastor at our church, three of us got together and we wrote a song for the capital campaign. And um, that was the first time that at Fayetteville we have done a song, an original song that was written by us. Um, it was received very well. Uh, we didn't tell people at first that we wrote it because if it was bad, we didn't want them to know. Um, <laughs> um, but after they like caught on to it and we realized it and people are coming up to us going, man, where can we get this song? Where can we get this song? We kind of let the cat out of the bag. You know, well, you can't get this song. It's not recorded anywhere. Um, so that was the first time we did it and it went really well. Um, and so we have plans to do that some more. Shane, my associate, is much more passionate about songwriting um, than I am. I love it. I enjoy it. But I'm, 
it, you know, if I have free time, I'm not going, man, give me a guitar and let me sit down and write a song. It's, it's not in me as much as it is in him. And so I kind of let him drive that. Um, and uh, we recently hired a worship pastor at one of our campuses um, because the, the guy who was there left to plant a church in Mexico. And we recently hired a new guy who's also passionate about songwriting. So I'm excited about what that could mean for us as a church in the years to come. Tell me about some of your pet peeves as a worship leader. <laughs> or one. Uh, Give me one. <laughs> pet peeve. What a, what a, you know, it's funny. I don't, um, I look back on my, myself when I was in college and I was in charge of things. And I think, man, that guy was such a, a Nazi. Um, <laughs> I mean, someone, someone would hit a wrong note and I'd like stop and call them out. And, and um, today it's like, and and maybe because back then when I was at Liberty University, I had people that were getting paid full scholarships that were to play. So maybe it's a little different. But now I got, you know, I got students and I got, uh, you know, realtors and I got lawyers and I got electricians that are my volunteers. And so if they hit wrong notes, I just I don't really care that much. If it's in rehearsal, we work on it. Um, but I don't it doesn't really bother me that much. And so for me, I don't really get super annoyed but I really don't like it when people show up late. I'm one of those guys that just, um, you know, to be early is to be on time and to be on time is to be late with me. Um, and so I, uh, I, I, if someone shows up late one time, it's like, okay, whatever. But if someone's consistently showing up late, it, it's, it's pretty annoying to me. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Uh, any words of wisdom, any closing thoughts you want to throw out there? I'm I'm still really young. Like I'm in my early 30s and I I still have no idea how to really do this ministry thing. But I'm learning more and more as I've been in it. Um like I said earlier, man, ministry is way more about the people than the music. And I'm finding a lot of um young younger people who love music they're believers and they love to play their music in the church. So automatically they assume that they are called to be a worship pastor. Um, and I'm, 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 I just, that's just not true. I, I believe, um, and some will disagree with me, but I believe that, um, uh, being a pastor is a calling of, uh, that God places on your life. Apostles, preachers, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, uh, from Ephesians, and I believe that we're called to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And um, I think loving Christian music is great, but if you love Christian music um, and you don't feel a calling to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, even if that means you're not using music, then you're you're probably not called to be a worship pastor, in my opinion. Um, and so. I think some words of wisdom I would give give to, to worship pastors or people who are aspiring to be worship pastors would just be pray about that. Really pray about it and navigate through what is your calling? You know, do you just love playing music in the church? Great. Maybe you're gonna make a worship pastor really happy and be an awesome layperson who plays every week and does a great job at it. Um, or are you, are you really passionate about equipping the saints for the work of the ministry? And if you are, then maybe, maybe then you're called to be, um, a worship pastor. So that's just something that's been on my heart and mind lately, um, that I would, that I would say. 
Awesome. Well, David, I want to thank you for your time. This has been a great interview. I really learned several things from this, and I hope my listeners will as well. Thank you so much, man. Thanks for reaching out. It was great to uh, to meet you. And um, since our uh, video Skype didn't work, I still have no idea what you look like. But I'm sure I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll send you a picture. Find a picture. Yeah, I guess so. If it but, looks uh, like Brad Pitt, don't be surprised. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this Sonic Nuance Electronics podcast. Please also see our blog at sonicnuance.com, which has more articles on performance, equipment, as well as interviews. Sonicnuance.com has handmade rugged direct boxes with phantom-powered chromatic tuners, as well as instrument and headphone extension cables. All products are designed, tested, and made in the USA for the ultimate in fidelity and durability. Sonic Nuance Electronics. Simply sound. <laughs>